going to start uh, a new series, really a follow-up um, to last month. Um, as, as we were talking about this 15th year anniversary, we spent the month of September in a way of looking back of all the great things that God has done for us and really trying to cast some vision and direction uh, for what God has in our days ahead as well. And we did a comparison, one of the books that I read, kind of the uh, understanding of where the church world is today, that the author paralleled that journey of, if you remember from your high school days, of the Lewis and Clark adventure and trying to find the Northwest Passage. And uh, one of the things that stood out to us as, as we talked about our journey as a church is what they found out hundreds of years ago for that great adventure is that they couldn't do it alone. Uh, Lewis and Clark knew right away that this thing was going to be way bigger than just the two of them, and that they were going to need some partners uh, on the journey to make it happen. They understood really strategic partnership. To them, it was the core of discovery. It was those 33 guys that they were looking for the, the brightest, the best, uh, those that could help them along that incredible journey. And I think that when we look to the Bible, when we go to the book of Acts, really the formation of the church, we understand that Jesus as well spoke to the early church that, that we would be in need of a strategic partner as well. That really the, the, the way that the church would, would not only be formed and grow and develop is that we were going to need a partnership that would be with us forever. And today I want to invite you and give you an invitation to the divine. Uh, I, I think that uh, as we've kind of experienced already today, that, that we're going to put some more elements in place this month so that we can fully embrace what the presence of God wants to do, not only in your lives, uh, and, I, and I trust that that's what we're going to go after this month, but collectively, that, that what we believe that God wants to do in our church. I think it's an incredible follow-up that not only do we have dreams and discoveries of what God has done for us and, and what we believe God still has for us, but without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we realize that our efforts would always fall short. And so as much as we desire to brave change that we recognize that we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in us and in our church to can fully fulfill everything that God has for us today. And so we're going to give you a number of, of invitations this month into the divine and understanding what it is that God has, we believe specifically for you and collectively what he has for all of us. I think when we look into scripture, we recognize for the disciples and the early church that that power and that presence come by, came by way of what we understand today as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And how many would say with me today that it is still the partnership that the church needs today, right? That Jesus, in fact, told the disciples, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem because you're going to get some help in just a couple of days. And so don't leave here. Don't do anything without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that those same words are going to be true to you and I. Let's not run in and run out, but let's just be open, right, for the presence of God to come among his people in his church. Let's just dedicate some time to recognize we don't want to do it without you. In fact, we can't do it without you. And how many know that God's spirit, God's presence can multiply, right, whatever our efforts are going to be? How many know that the half is yet to be told, amen, that, that he's got things in store that if we're just going to open up our hearts to let God reshape and reform real life in these coming days, that as he has been faithful in these past 15, that God's going to be even be more faithful in these next 15 as well. John 14, Jesus said this to his disciples, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. In fact, I want you to, we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes, but just remember that. So as Jesus was preparing his followers that, that he was going to be going away, that he wasn't going to leave them comfortless, but that if I go away, I am going to provide for you another advocate. And he has come to help you and to be with you. Can somebody say praise God for that? Right, that, that Jesus was going to take care of not only his disciples, his followers, the church, but it's that same desire today, that God is going to take care of his people. He is here to help us. He is here to be with us forever. He is the spirit of truth. And so I believe, hopefully with you today, that, that this month, that we are not just going to learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we are going to experience We're going to experience the person, the power, the promise, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want you to receive today an invitation into the divine, that you will just set everything else aside. I don't know that you've probably had some moments in your life where maybe surprisingly or maybe wishfully that that you got an invitation to something that was maybe a little bit above your pay grade. Anybody could think about a moment. Somehow you got on an invitation list where you were like, wow, like I can't believe that we got invited to this. And and you prepared and you were excited and you were uh, so ready to be able to step into that. Well, I think in the same way. And maybe for some of you that's never happened. (laughs) Hey, like, no, Pastor Jim, we're never on that list. Well, guess what? I've got good news for you today. You today are going to get that invitation to step into something that's way bigger than us, a a thing that, that we could never get to on our own, that there is going to be an invitation that's coming to you today to experience the person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, as we look back in the life of the church, the teaching on the ministry of the Holy Spirit a lot of times in churches today has become a little bit more of a lightning rod. Think on one side, there's kind of a a hyper-charismatic, hyper-Pentecostal experience that people, uh, you know, go after in the sense of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. They, They seem to isolate on one side of the church world, that, that there is a lot of emotion, that, that, that there have to be a lot of you know, uh, outward signs or symbolisms that, that produce for us what we would claim is, is a Holy Spirit experience. And then on the other side, there are a lot of churches that, that do everything they can to avoid that, and they're a, a doctrine-only type, or, or uh, we're, we're not into the emotion and all of those things, and, and we're staying really kind of within ourselves to that. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book probably 10 or 15 years ago that, that became really a, a worldwide bestseller, and he entitled it The Forgotten God, that, that there has been a sense of really de-emphasizing, or it had been over the years, de-emphasizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at the church world today, we recognize that, that, that there is a, a different impact and effect that, that talking about the Holy Spirit has on multiple congregations, not only here in our country, but around the world. And here's the irony that I want to share with you this morning. The Holy Spirit was given to the church to unite us. But unfortunately, discussions about the Holy Spirit in many ways in our church world have divided us. We find different camps of 
of what the clarification of the ministry of the Holy Spirit really means, not only to us as individuals, but, but to us as churches as well. Uh, we hear comments about, oh, they're one of those kind of churches, right? Or, or in different expressions of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, oh, did you hear what, what that church either does or doesn't as it relates to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Last week, Debbie and I had a chance to go aboard one of the sailing ships here um, in Erie with another couple from the church. I don't know if you've had a chance. There's a, a schooner called the Letty G, and uh, it's, it's a, a, a sailing boat. Um, and we were excited because uh, two weeks ago on a Friday, it was a windy day. I know, get that in Erie, right? It was a, a windy day. And we were excited because we kind of got on board this, you know, 120, 150-year-old sailing vessel, and we were excited. They were going to put the sails up, and it was enough to win that, you know, we could have just seen ourselves, like, kind of flying up along the bay, and, and we were uh, just, you know, so jazzed about what was going to take place. But unfortunately, as the night went on, the winds died down, and at some point, the captain had to fire up the engines on this sailboat. And as we were talking to one of the volunteer kind of mates uh, and talking about the construction of, of this vessel and everything that it had been, obviously he explained to us that when the ship was built, it had no engines. It was a true sailboat. They were completely dependent on the wind to propel them. And as I was thinking about that this week, I thought what a powerful analogy for the church of today as well. In light of the Holy Spirit, in light of the believer, in light of the church, that, that we are and must be completely dependent on the wind of the Holy Spirit. That we are not here to manufacture anything. We're not here to turn on the engines or kind of create some atmosphere that, that hopefully will enlighten you to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. No, more than anything else, it would be for us to get out of the way and for you and I to accept the invitation of the Holy Spirit to throw up the sails of our light and to say, Spirit of God, let your wind blow in my life. Maybe let it blow for the first time. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe remember at one time the power of the force of the Spirit of God in our life, and we need to be reminded, God, we're not going to fire up our own engines. We're going to pray and we're going to believe for the wind of the Holy Spirit to be permanent in our lives today. You see, we understand that as we become dependent on the Spirit of God for our life, that He has more available than we usually are accustomed to ask for. And when we feel like, like, wow, this is, like, this is amazing that, that really it's just the tip of the iceberg of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. And so I want to challenge you and I want to challenge us as a church to ask more, to, to believe more of the Holy Spirit. Listen, with a shout, amen, how many believe that the Spirit of God still has way more than we even have cap capability of, of receiving, right? We believe that. And so I'm going to ask you to just, you know, jo jump in with me, zone in in this month to ask more, to receive the invitation to the divine in these coming days. And let's believe together that we feel and we experience the wind of the Holy Spirit in our life once again. I read the story uh, about years ago on, on a southern plantation uh, that the owner had left $50,000 inheritance, which 
would have been equivalent today to maybe a half a million dollars to a former servant who had served him and his family so faithfully all of his life. And so the estate's lawyer notified, notified this older gentleman and told him that the money had now been deposited in a local bank with his name on it. A half a million dollars was his. But several weeks went by, and the man never called to ask for any of that inheritance. And so the banker called him one day and said, Sir, I need to remind you that there is $50,000 here sitting in our bank with your name on it. You are free to draw from it whenever you want. To which the man kindly said, Sir, if you might be able to spare just $5 of that so that I can buy a sack of cornmeal, I would be greatly appreciative of that. You see, that would kind of change our perspective, our mind, to think that, that this man had $50,000, $5 million, and all he was asking, if you could just maybe take out $5 so that I could get a bag of cornmeal. He didn't recognize, he didn't understand the wealth that, that, that was his now to draw from. And I want that to illustrate to you and I what I think is the state of many of our lives today, maybe many of our churches today, that we still think like orphans or like poor men, that we have no grasp on what is fully available to us today. And so I want to help you to realize that there is a presence and that there is a power of heaven that has unlimited resources for us as a church to ask and to, and to believe and to receive what it is that heaven has for you, for your home, for your life. And so let's believe that there is an inheritance that God has left to his church. It is the power, it is the presence, it is the glory of the Holy Spirit that he wants to make available for us today. And so I want you to take this invitation into the divine, and I want us to maximize what it is that God can do in and through our lives today. I want to set maybe a, a wide net with you this morning and, and for this first week, and then as we uh, dig deeper over these next couple of weeks to experience what it is the Holy Spirit can do for us today. But let me kind of give you a, a couple of points, I think, that will help shape us and guide us in these coming days. First of all, let's just kind of uh, go together with who is the Holy Spirit. What, why would there be an emphasis for you and I today to understand, to, to step into more today? Well, I read to you already from John 14, verse 16. Jesus said this to his followers, that I will ask the Father, and he will give you, and I said before, another helper who will be with you forever. I told you to hang on to that verse and let me explain to you because there are two different words in the Greek language that we translate the New Testament in for another helper. That's why I told you to, to listen to that. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I am going to provide for you another helper. There are two words in the language, alos, which means another of the same kind or heteros, another of a different kind. So kind of by way of a little silly illustration, you see, I have a son, right? But, but a farm animal cow, right, could say to us, right, well, I, I have a son as well, right? In my farm family, I have a son. But how many know that cow's son is different 
than my son, right? They are not of the same kind. They are different. They, they could have the name son, but we recognize, yeah, but it's not the same. And so what I want you to recognize is that when Jesus said, I am going to ask the Father, I am going to go away, but I am going to provide for you an alos advocate, another of the same kind. So when we recognize who is the Holy Spirit, that he is divine, he is of the Godhead, he is of heaven, he is not regulated to something different, but he is the same, he is of the same kind. Jesus used alos, he is another of the same kind, which is specifically and equally God. And so when we think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he gets our full attention. He he has the full declaration of the divine for you and I to enter in into the ministry and to the fulfillment of why he was given to us as the church. Many times we explain this in the sense of understanding the Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and there are at times where people say that's, that's confusing, Pastor Jim. I don't, I don't understand how that whole thing works of this one God who exists eternally in three persons. So let me help you a little bit more by maybe explaining what it's not. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit and, and this invitation into the divine about who he is and, and how Jesus revealed him to us, what that introduction was to the disciples and to us as a church. We recognize it is not three gods. There is no polytheism in this, that, that they are not separate gods, but they are one. It is not one God in three modes, whereas seemingly God just uh, changes costumes or roles that he is the father and then he came down to be the son and then he works in the spirit. They are not one God in three modes. That is not correct either. But it is one God who exists eternally as three distinct people. The father, the son, and the spirit. They are distinct in their persons. And so as we talk about them, we can separately, but collectively, they are all God. So that in having one, you have the presence of all three. And and to help us that it is not obviously of earth. And so there is no jealousy in the Godhead. There is no sense about, well, Pastor Jim, if it's, you know, if it's a really big deal, then, then do I pray to God the Father because he is the, seemingly the Father? There is no jealousy within the Godhead, that they are equal in the sense of their role and their presence within us. There is a sense of authority that we recognize that the Bible teaches us within the Godhead in the sense of the Father and the Son. Even Jesus talked about that I am here to do the will of of my father. And so they understand that there are there is a role of authority and yet God gave Christ all authority, right? In the creation of our world in the sense that he was now seated in that seat of authority. You read that he is seated now at the right-hand throne of the Father. That was the place of authority. So they operate perfectly and wonderfully. And so again, it is up to us in understanding the role that the Godhead plays in our lives. And here's what I want you to understand. With some of these uh, eternal and heavily 
concepts that still might be difficult for us to understand. We believe in the Trinity, not because we have to understand it, but because it has been revealed to us. Do you understand that? You see, there are multiple times throughout Scripture where we see at the same time, in the same moment, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yes, at times it can be a, a, an understanding, a teaching that, that, that may be more for us, but it's not for us necessarily lacking in understanding it. We can appreciate the fact that it has been revealed to us. When Jesus went into the waters to be baptized, we hear the words of the Father coming out of heaven. Behold, this is my beloved Son. He is blessed as well. Jesus there in the water about to be baptized by John. And the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit in a symbol or in a sign of a dove came and rested upon him. There, as with other places in scripture, we recognize that there is a presence of a Godhead and they have specific roles. Jesus did die for our sins and he now is another, the Spirit is another advocate. He is one that has come to walk beside us and I wanna share more about that today with you. I think it's, again, imperative that we understand when we talk about the Holy Spirit that he is holy. Say that with me. He is holy. He is the Holy Spirit. You see, the only sin labeled to us in Scripture as unforgivable is defined as defaming or slandering the work of the Holy Spirit as to being evil or unholy. But I want to explain that a little bit more because at times that's another kind of biblical issue that sometimes catches people. And, and, and even into modern times, there are moments or times where we have people that sometimes question somewhere in their journey, have I blasphemed? Have I defamed the Holy Spirit? Am I, have, have I committed the unpardonable sin? And, and for that, we have to go specifically to Scripture to understand the background a little bit more. This idea of, of understanding the holiness of the Holy Spirit and how careful that we need to be is based almost primarily on the idea of belief. And so when Jesus in Luke chapter 12 was talking to the uh, the Pharisees, that as Jesus was doing the miraculous, as he was healing and, and reviving and touching people's lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day were attributing the work of Jesus to his face, to the devil, to evil. You see, their hearts. And so when Jesus pronounced to them that not only would this blasphemy against the work of the Spirit banish you in this life, but also in the life to come, that there would be no hope for you, it was not based on necessarily some trite comment that was being made, but on this affirmed belief by these religious leaders that they were condemning the work of Christ to evil to his very face. One writer and commenter talked about that really the idea of this unpardonable sin probably doesn't even happen today like it would have when we read it in Scripture just because of this face-to-face -face interaction that these Pharisees were having with Jesus. 
The fact that it was so bold, so brash, that they were looking Jesus eye to eye after all of the miraculous that he had done. And still their hearts were so hardened in disbelief that they were able to somehow verbalize that this work is evil. And I think how that translates to you today with obviously with with Jesus not walking the earth anymore is that it is for people that have completely hardened their hearts to the things of God. And I would say for most church people today, if you are questioning someone you or you know, would they have spoken or would they have committed the, 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 the unpardonable sin? The fact that you would even think or question that is probably proof enough that it didn't happen. Does that make sense? The fact that our hearts would still be open in some sense. And so it is based on this radical sense of unbelief of the things of God. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 1 when we read towards all of the, the filth and the garbage and the, the unbelief that was happening that he was speaking and that would happen one day is that, that God gave them over. There is a, a point, right, not based on God's love or God's mercy, but based on man's choice, that he would be so brazen to disbelieve or unbelieve or condemn the works of the power of God or the Holy Spirit to the evil one that the Bible does declare that there would be a moment where that tips the scale to being unforgivable. You see, the role of the Holy Spirit is that as he works in your life, my life, and the life of the church, that we must always recognize that he is holy. Second of all, what does the Holy Spirit do? What, what the Holy Spirit does that we unveil in Scripture and for us today? Well, first of all, we recognize that he inspires and he illuminates. I think in this verse 26 of John 14 is that there are at least two groups of people that the power of the Holy Spirit is revealed to. First of all, in the, in the moments, right, of, of Scripture, that for the apostles, that it was a promise of inspiration. That, that Jesus said that, that the Holy Spirit would bring back into their memory flawlessly all that Jesus had taught and to clarify it so that the work and the power of, of the work of God would go on. I think for those of you that have certainly studied your Bibles or had, had taken time in the New Testament, and we talk about this relationship with Jesus and the disciples and his followers, we would read and I think we could kind of assume that there were multiple moments, right, as Jesus was kind of handing over or detailing the keys of the kingdom to the to the disciples, knowing that he was going away, that there were a few moments, if not more, that Jesus had one of these kind of moments with the disciples, right? I mean, if you've studied the gospels, you know, like, like Jesus is teaching them and they're off fighting about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom, right? Or he's talking to them about, in the Sermon on the Mount, about all these different ranks and positions and they are just off, I mean, doing like completely wrong stuff and I'm, I can just see Jesus like, Oh, no, right? Fortunately, he knew another advocate, right, was going to be needed. Because in the moment, right, a lot of them were missing it. They, they weren't grasping what they needed in the moment. And this is the great work of the Holy Spirit. 
Because Jesus recognized in this moment, this is gonna be a lot for you to take in. It's gonna be a lot for you to understand. Like this is gonna kind of blow your mind. And, and even when he talked about, hey, in just a couple of hours, in a couple of days, and, and, and Peter said, hey, uh, this isn't gonna happen. Like I'm gonna make sure this doesn't happen. And Jesus said, you don't understand what's going on here. You don't understand the will of God. This has to happen. You can't stop this. It's got to happen. They were, they were messed up. They were clueless in the, the grand steam of what God was wanting to do for mankind. And so Jesus gave his followers a promise that there are gonna be things in this moment you're missing, but I'm gonna provide you another advocate that is gonna clarify the message, that is going to be bringing all of these things back to your remembrance so that you can righteously divide the words of truth and then deviate them to the world so that we can know the presence and the power of God. Verse 26, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance just as I have said them to you. If you have your Bibles or your word in front of us, how many are glad for that part of it, right? We understand and we know today because the Holy Spirit illuminated, inspired them to that. Which brings forth, I think, a question that hopefully I can answer for some of you of maybe questions that, that you, that have come at you. I think one of the questions that, that continue to happen is that how can we trust the Bible wasn't it written by just a bunch of guys? Like, how do we know that they knew what they were talking about or, or that, that it wasn't just stuff that they made up? This is what I want you to understand. It didn't happen that way because God gave to us another advocate. God gave to the early church leaders, the apostles, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring back faithfully, accurately to their minds everything that had taken place. They would say, well, maybe they corrupted it. Maybe they made some of this up. Maybe they just didn't understand this. But the promise of the Holy Spirit gives to you and I today that supernaturally the Spirit of God guided these minds, guided these hearts faithfully that what happened is an accurate record for us today to build our lives on, to sustain the church on, that his word was true then, his word is still true today. You see, you need to know that. Stop, stop fighting what the, what, what the naysayer is trying to bring by way of confusion and know today that God had you and I covered by providing for us the infallible word of truth and God to drive us and to give us a foundation for our lives and for our souls. You see, what you and I have in our hands is a reliable record of Christ's work. And because Jesus promised it, he would also guide the apostles to record it wonderfully and accurately for us. I mean, just think about this with me for a minute. What good would it have been for Christ to come to the earth and die and to go through everything to establish what, a, a, what faith and what a relationship would be for you and I and then there be no reliable record for the truth of the gospel? I mean, that doesn't make much sense either, would it? Why would Jesus go away and then like, man, I hope you guys got that. But no, here, some 2,000 years later, we know that it was true then, that it is true today, that it's harder to disprove the Bible, somebody say yes, than to have to prove it. Why? Because the Spirit of God was given to the 
early church to remember everything that I have said, to let it be something to which you and I can build our lives on today. So not only was it inspiration for the apostles, but it is a promise of illumination for the church today. You see, the Holy Spirit is not revealing necessarily new things to us. He is simply helping us to understand what has already been there, the illumination of Scripture in our life that God didn't need to add any more to it. In fact, when we read towards the end of Revelation that there's actually a curse given should we try to add to anything that has been written in the book. And so what does that mean for you and I today? That God has taken care of any need that you and I have. That every answer that we need is found in the word of God. Somebody say thank the Lord for that today. We recognize today that there isn't something, we're not, we're not running after some, and, and people do that today. People are running after new revelation. Oh, did you hear what this person is saying? Oh, did, have you gone to this conference? Oh, have you done? Listen, stop running around and start looking up and asking for the presence and power of God to continue to illuminate what has been given, all that needs to be given into your life. Listen, if we don't have it yet, if we don't fully understand it, listen, it is available for us to get in us and to work through us. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus warned his disciples that there was going to be a time coming when they would be dragged into court for his name, that, that, that there would be chaos that would come to them. And this is what Jesus said, don't worry in that hour about what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will reveal to you and tell you exactly what to say. I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you. Not necessarily the court thing, but, but you have put into a situation. Maybe you were asked a question or, or maybe you were involved in a situation and circumstance that, that was nothing but confusion all around you. And listen, if it hasn't happened to you, I'm going to pray that it does happen to you where you just had to step up. You just had to step in. And, and maybe even in the moment, you're wondering, oh, Pastor Jim, like I, I got like bits and pieces, of, but I, 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 listen, what was Jesus' promise to the Holy Spirit? If they pull you into that, fear not, because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. You see, I think a lot of us, again, in this invitation to the divine, is that there is more for us and yet oftentimes our position is to back away. That, that there are moments and situations, and, and we reason a lot of the reasons why not we should step forwards, and we have a tendency to step back. So there's a couple of keys I want to give you in all of that, but I want to encourage your faith more than anything else. You see, don't fear the moment appreciate that God has you. That you and I are willing to step out and let God fill in. That we are living a life that is going to be existent on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That when I find myself in the moment, I am not going to step back, but I am going to let the power of the Holy Spirit step in. Somebody say amen with me today. One writer commented, 
kind of encapsulating, trying to make it sense for us today. He calls it the Michael Jordan philosophy of Christianity. And it was based on an interview that someone had done with Michael Jordan back in the day, and obviously one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And they asked him, Michael, when is it that you come up with, with all of these amazing moves or these dunks or you know, everything that you can do? Do you, do you think about it uh, and, and then go out and perform it? And his answer was this, nope, I jump. And I figure it out from there. Yeah? And I think in the same way, you and I, if we recognize that the Holy Spirit has way more available And yet so many of us lack the impulse to jump. Hello? And so you might be here today saying, Pastor Ellison, like I want to, but I'm still a little worried about that. Then you need to be back in church next week and the week after that and the week after that. And as we move through the process of what the Holy Spirit, I trust that by the end of this month that you're gonna jump in. And watch the Holy Spirit utilize you and use you in ways that maybe you never thought were possible. You see, it's still the same God. It's still the power that as he gave to the early church apostles that God wants to do it again and again and again and again. But let me just clarify a little bit for you today. You see, there is a little tip in that. You see, the Holy Spirit I think we'll have great difficulty trying to bring back to your memory things that you have not put in. You see, there is still the work of the miraculous. And I think that if we are going to be faithful in that sense of jumping in, but can I simply tell you that the more that you give the Holy Spirit to work with, the more faithful that he is going to be to you today. So let's not be believers today that are not getting the word of God inside of us. Let's not be filling ourselves. I mean, I wonder what junk that we spend way more time filling our mind and filling our heart with. I mean, I don't know. I I might get laughed out of our community to, to tell you, oh man, there's an incredible thing that you need to binge this weekend. No, it's not reruns of Lost. No, it's not Games of Thrones. It's not this or it's that. It's the powerful, incredible word of God's. But man, we're so quick to share what you should be binge watching for weeks on end. But I wonder how rarely it is that we binge on the powerful word of God. You see, those shows, what what really are they going to do for us? In light of eternity, nothing. But you see, the more that you are placing in your heart, in your mind, the power of the word of God, that you are giving more and more for the spirit of God to draw in you so that now you are quick to jump and to know and be confident that he who has begun a good work in me is faithful to bring it to completion, that he will give you the words to say, he will illuminate the power of scripture. I know for those of us that are getting a little bit older, every year. Some, like Julie, a little bit older than me right now for just a couple of more days, Julie, right? That we might say, well, Pastor Jim, I have, I have such a hard time remembering. I, it, my brain just doesn't work that way. Listen, that's human, and we get that. 
But what we're talking about is superhuman, supernatural. You see, and although it, it may be a struggle for us to remember, can I tell you, it is no issue, no problem for the Holy Spirit to bring back to your memory the things that you have put in there. And so let me challenge you in this invitation is that we consider what is it that we are putting more in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits to what needs to be there. Second of all, he is our advocate. So I mentioned to you a little bit earlier about that, that, that Jesus would ask the Father and he would give to us another advocate. That word is paraclete, is the truest word. And and there isn't a great English word in translation for us to understand the concept of what Jesus was talking about to his followers. And so in different translations of your Bible or Bibles that you have to try to, again, get, get the fullest picture, you will hear the Holy Spirit as the comforter, that, that he will provide for you another comforter. Maybe another translation that he will provide for us another counselor. And so we think about those terminologies, and, and they're good, but, but really the most accurate, the, the closest we have is that God provided for you and I a paraclete. And I know for some of you say, Pastor, I don't understand. I, I don't know what that is. Well, a paraclete literally means that God has provided someone who stands beside you to speak on your behalf, who is able to go before the highest places and to be able to reveal the wonderful work that has been done in your life and for you when, when we would not understand or we would not know how to present that well, that God gave to us another advocate, a, a paraclete, to take care and to assure us that all is well. You see, when Jesus said another advocate, how many realize that there must then first be at least one advocate before we have another advocate, right? Make sense? So who is our primary advocate? Jesus, right? So Jesus is our advocate. We read about that, especially in Hebrews. It defines for us the work that Christ came to do for us. And so here's how it operated first for those of us that are followers of Christ. You see, when our sin demanded justice before the Father. When we would have been presented guilty before the Father because of our sin, this is what Christ did for us primarily in the throne room. You see, we already had an advocate. So we were lost, but someone came and spoke on our behalf and unveiled the truth before the authority that we stand before. One which we could not do on our own because we were lost. We were dead in our sins. And so someone stood up and took our place, spoke on our behalf. He said, Father, I have paid for all of Jim's sin. It would be unjust for you to continue to be angry for this sin because I have absorbed all of his punishment. And I have given Jim my righteousness, right? The Bible says to those that know him, right? That, that he recognized he who knew no sin became sin for me so that I now might become what? The righteousness of God. 
How many are glad that we had an advocate that stood before the Father and said, so now you are obligated because of my work to give him the blessings, the hope of salvation, the rewards that are coming to him, not because of what he did, but because of what I have done for him. How many are glad that we have an advocate that went to the Father on our behalf, right? And that's powerful in our life. And so then Jesus said, listen, I am going to go away, but if I go away, I am going to provide for you what? Another advocate. One what? Of the same kind. And so now I hope that you recognize the power of your salvation, that it gets even better for us because now in our everyday life, we have another advocate and he advocates for God's blessing on you through the basis of the blood of Christ. So we have an accuser of the brethren, right? We have a, a whisper that we hear in our ear that talks about our past and talks about our failures, to talk about our shortcomings, to talk about our disabilities and our spiritual life. And we tend to believe that, right? We hear all of the things that he lists about all the stuff that we've done in our life, all the bad stuff, all the garbage. And then all of a sudden, we kind of think, man, I, you're right. Like, wow. And, and what do we do? We start backing away because, wow, the power of the evidence looks pretty, looks pretty unnerving in my life, but then someone stands up and grabs us by the shirt and brings us to the throat and says, oh, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I once was lost, but now he's found. He was once lost. He was once all of that, but today he's redeemed. He has the power and the joy and the hope and the victory of the blood of Christ that has moved through his life. There is an advocate now on the basis of the blood of Christ. The Spirit of God is constantly standing now us before the Father, pouring the blessings of God upon our life that have been purchased to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, you've been invited. You have a seat at the table. Can I tell you today? You see, the enemy is going to tell you, no, you're no good. You're outside. You don't even get in. You don't even give an invitation. And the, the fact is that, unfortunately, so many people believe that. They believe what the enemy is talking and telling about them. They're being reminded, right, of what has been washed by the power and by the blood of Christ. And what I want to remind you is that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Stop believing the lies of the enemy and start living in the truth of the power of the Spirit of God that he makes available to your life. You're redeemed. You're blessed. You're a child of God. You're holy right? You're found faultless before the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. I have faith. I have hope. I have purpose. I have a calling. My past does not define me, but my hope in Christ gives me hope and gives me a future today. You see, that's what changes your life. That's what changes the power of the church is that we have now another advocate, advocate number two, that now affirms the work that Christ has done in our life. The Bible also tells us that he is our intercessor. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, For we do not even know at times what to pray and how to do it or has we up, but the Spirit himself, what, intercedes for us, even with groans that are too deep for our words. You see, what this simply means, and, and again, there's a little bit of a backstory here to understand this in the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and not that it's not happening in our world today. In fact, maybe let's not be remiss today that, that in our hearts, I'm sure, that we need to be praying for Israel today. Obviously, we've seen what's taken place in these last 24, 48 hours. But we recognize at the time of this writing is that, that the church was on the run many times, that they were being used and abused. And, and again, their assurance of, of, of life is different than you and I today. Most of us don't fear that our life is going to be taken here in Erie County because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But when Paul was writing this to the Romans, they lived in that kind of life. And so their, their hearts, their, their, their natural life, their physical life, really always being on the run, always being questioned. Like many believers that are still in our world today, hello, that we need to be faithful to be praying for. The underground church that don't have this freedom and don't have this liberty, their present day suffering was a very real thing. And they got to the point where they questioned why and, and for how long and all of these kind of things. And this is where, again, that, that the situation might not be as grave for you and I in this room today, but it was for them and it still exists in our world today. But there is a power of spirit that will go before the Father on our behalf, even even when we don't know what to say or do. There are moments of suffering and difficulty that we face. There are some of you here today that, that have felt the desperation. You heard the news from the doctor or, or you lost your job or, or your life was devastated or there was an accident and, and you were crushed beyond belief. Maybe you were in a difficult relationship and it was abusive. And, and again, part of the question and the challenge is for how long and why. And, and we labor and we get to the point where we don't even know what to say or pray anymore. And the Bible says that God has given to us an advocate, one that, that understands the suffering and the pain that we go through. And he is still always on the task, always on call to present this heartache before the Father. Listen, he is with you. Listen, it doesn't always immediately end the suffering that we were going in or going through. But what he provides for us is peace in the midst of our storm. Some of you have explained that. Some of you have experienced that. Listen, I would pray that none of you have to experience the depth of that, but the challenge is in our life, in this world, you are going to find suffering and hurt. But here's what the Holy Spirit wants to remind you. You are not abandoned. There is a God who is with you and there is a God who is taking your heart, your heart's cry, even when you don't even know what to say anymore. He is taking that. He is interceding on your behalf. I've, I've, I've been along many bedsides where people would tell me, Pastor, I've felt, I've experienced the prayers of God's people over our lives. Just that's being filtered through the gift and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This comfort to be able to present us before the Father to provide healing and understanding and peace in the midst of that. So let me just give you one more and I'll wrap up for today. So then what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Here's very simply. His role is to always point us to Jesus. You see, the role of this second advocate is to emphasize the ministry of our first advocate, of our Savior. Jesus said this in John 15, when the counselor, when the advocate comes, 
he will testify about me. See, my anchor is built and is held on nothing less than his righteousness, on Christ and him alone. This he has as his primary objective for our lives. The Holy Spirit has a lot of work to do, but his primary role is to get you and I to look to Jesus. I don't know about you, but how many times do we need to be reminded to look to Jesus? Let's be honest, probably sadly more than we should. That story of Peter kind of walking on the water and sinking, why? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. How many would say, Pastor, that'd be my story like (laughs) a couple of times a week, right? For sure, for sure. And so God gave us an advocate. God gave us a helper that when we find ourselves wanting to be unsure about where to look, about what to do, the ministry of the Holy Spirit abides in our life to remind us, look to Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I don't know about you right now, but man, I feel, I feel the heaviness of the Spirit of God on my life right now. If there's anything that I can finish up with you today, is that wherever you are at, if there's any small part that I can play in your journey today, is that is to point you to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, kind of a great pastor, theologian of the past century, said to his church, he said, I sometimes wonder what, that you do not get tired of my preaching because I do nothing but hammer away at this one nail week after week after week. And that one nail is the glorious news that our glorious Savior paid it all in our place. And in response, he is worthy of our highest devotion and greatest service. So listen, some of you that are discouraged today, look to Jesus. Some of you that are suffering this morning, look to Jesus. Some of you that are struggling in your marriage, look to Jesus. Battling addiction, Look to Jesus. Need peace? Want to be drawn closer? Then let's focus our eyes on Jesus. You desire more meaningful worship? Then look to Jesus. Feel like maybe you're at the end of your rope? Then look to Jesus. Want to be used in ministry more? Want the gifts of God? Then look to Jesus. You need hope today, then I'm going to ask you today to look to Jesus. Give me one more minute as the band comes today. So here's where I want to land. Maybe if there's a big takeaway for you and I today, and what do we do with now understanding more about who the Holy Spirit is, what his role is in my life in the church, is the first thing I want you to realize today is that he is holy. That as we emphasize again in our life or maybe reemphasize the work of the Spirit of God in our life, that we recognize that this is not trivial. This is not an afterthought. This is us again getting an invitation into the divine. That He is holy. That He is a person. He is not some energizing force. Again, I think 
whether to say right or wrong. Listen, our emphasis again in our church is that we're not after some electrical charge of the heavenlies, right? So, so I need to feel a buzz. I need to feel, ooh, that's the Holy Spirit. No. I, I recognize that, that, that our reaction to that can, can be that. But he's a person. Just as Jesus, we look to him in the same sense that the Spirit of God is not some mystical force, but he is God's living presence within us. And he has come to do heaven's work inside of us. See, it's the power of the Spirit that wants you to jump (laughs) and then realize, God, you got to take it from here because I I don't know what's coming next, but I'm going to jump. Maybe somebody in the grocery aisle who's suffering or complaining about a headache and you're like, "Eh, I'll just keep my mouth shut. I don't want to look weird. I don't want you to look weird either. But maybe I would encourage you, if you believe God is a healer, then maybe you should jump sometime and say, ma'am, sir, like I, I know this might seem out of place for you, but I believe in a God who heals. And if it's all right, like I'm gonna make a big deal out of this, but maybe I could pray for you right now. Or if it would be all right, or maybe if you're uncomfortable with that, just please know that that someone is praying on your behalf today. Jump and figure out. Listen, we're not jumping into the abyss. Like if you're gonna jump in the spirit, how many are gonna believe? Spirit's gonna be there. You don't have to, you're not gonna operate in fear. You're operating in faith. You have a choice. We can go through life in fear or we can go and take it in faith. You decide. But listen, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be based on a fear-filled life. It's going to be based on a faith-filled life. So jump. Listen, can we be honest today? Does the Holy Spirit need to do some more work in me? Sure he does. Absolutely. And so why don't we take these coming days as an invitation? I'm, I'm going to ask you today, and I'm going to ask you in the course of these next couple of weeks is to accept an invitation into the divine. That we honor God so much that he gave to us another advocate, another presence and power of God. Can I just pray over you today that that it can begin right now, this very moment for this week and for this month to emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So again, that might recognize as I pray that that God will give my mind the understanding. There are some things I have to put aside so that I can fill myself up more with the Spirit. There are some things in my life that I need to empty so that now I can be renewed and refreshed and filled the power of the Holy Spirit. You get me today, church? These are decisions. Listen, I'd love to say that the Holy Spirit is just going to do all of that for you, but but we have a part to play in all of this. Our heart has to be willing. Our flesh, right? The Bible says the, the Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh at times is weak. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, come and have your way in my life.